Hello, and welcome to today's edition of Tabernacle Today, a podcast maintained by the Tabernacle located in Danville, Virginia. The following lesson is by Dr. Danny Campbell, senior pastor at the Tabernacle, and was recorded during our Wednesday evening Bible study. Additional information about the Tabernacle can be found at our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. Our prayer is that you will be blessed by the Word of God today. Turn in your Bibles as we join Dr. Danny for another edition of Tabernacle Today. All right, Hebrews chapter 4, as we continue on in the book of Hebrews, we've done some, we've seen many ways that Jesus is greater than uh, just anything else there could possibly be. Uh, Any one also, greatest, greater than the priests, greater than the angels, greater than Moses, uh, uh, the best. But we've also seen a couple dangers, dangers of drifting, dangers of departing. And then we come to this great passage here uh, that bids us uh, rest in the Lord. Hebrews 4, going to read verses 1 through 11. It says, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering God's rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them. Talking about the Old Testament saints that were wandering from Egypt on their way to the promised land. Because it did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest, as God has said, so I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Again, he designates a certain day saying to David, today, after such a long time as it has been said, and here's these verses again, today, If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. We want to keep a soft, uh, responsive heart to the Lord. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterwards have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works, as God did from his. Let us, therefore, be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. So... Today we're going to talk about hurrying up and slowing down. Hurry up and slow down. Got a little story for you. Maybe you've heard it. It was about a farmer who was in court because uh, he was taking his cow Billy to market in the back of his pickup. And on the way there, someone had crossed the medium line on the road and smashed into his pickup truck, turning the truck over and sending the cow and the farmer into the ditch. So he was in court trying to get damages. And so he was on the stand and the other lawyer was really trying to trip him up. You know how those defense, those other attorneys do, you know, trying to trip him up so he wouldn't get any damages paid out to him. So the other attorney came up to him and said, sir, I want to ask you a question. Isn't it true that immediately after the accident, you said to the trooper, I am fine. And he said, well, well, I want to tell you, I, I was on my way to market with uh, my cow Billy in the back of the pickup and whoa, said the attorney. I just asked you a question. Is it or is it not true that immediately after the accident you said to the trooper, I am fine? The farmer said, but, but, but you don't understand. I was on my way to market with my cowbilly in the back of the judge, said the other lawyer. Will you instruct this man to simply answer my question? Well, said the judge, I think I'm going to let him tell his story. Proceed, sir. Thank you, judge. 
As I was saying, I was on my way to market with my cow Billy in the back of the pickup truck. When that fell across the medium, smashed into my truck, overturning it and putting Billy and I in the ditch. I was laying there barely conscious and barely alive when I heard the sirens and the trooper arrived. Then I heard the trooper say as he was looking at my poor cow, this cow is damaged beyond repair and it's in terrible misery and I'm going to put him out of his misery. Then he pulled out his revolver and bang, Billy was dead. And then the officer walked over and asked how I was doing, and I said, I'm fine. <laughs> There's a context to everything, right? Well, like that farmer trying to survive, we often say that we're fine, but the truth is we're really not fine. You know, we got something we're struggling with, uh, and we got something that's causing us anxiety. We got, uh, uh, you know, sometimes that's a besetting sin that we just unfortunately turn back to, and and we don't want it in our life. We want to glorify God, but we, we're dealing with that, you know, not as far along as we want to be. We know we're not what we were, but we're not everything we want to be yet, you know, and so we're somewhere there in the middle, simultaneously, saint and sinner, as Martin Luther used to say, uh, or it's uh, just something that we're very, very burdened about. So we often say we're fine and we're not fine, and we desperately need God to intervene in our lives and to give us perspective and rest and all the things that he can do. Well, in Hebrews 4 here, as we go along, it's a 13-chapter book, so 4 is getting us into the book a little bit, but you kind of see a pastor's greatest fear here in verse 1. He says, let us fear, let us fear. He's afraid of something. He hopes those who know the Lord are afraid of the same thing. That those who had been around the people of God for some time and have heard the preaching God's word would would leave this life unsaved and go to hell. You know, it's such a, a great fear. You know, all the times that people uh, say they're almost persuaded. They'll think about that another day. You see someone with tears in their eyes and they're thinking about it, but they're not over the line yet, you know. And uh, for some, uh, they hear many, many messages and never turn and respond to the Lord. They're around the things of faith and you know, all the things faith can do would happen. It says there's a promise of entering God's rest, but the author is afraid many who should enter it and have not will not. And yet they're around the body of Christ the way that many of the Israelites wandered through the wilderness along with believing Israelites. And then we think about, you know, not only ourselves, if we're in that situation, or if you listen to this later and you're hearing this and saying, yeah, that's me, you know, I'm almost persuaded, I'm not quite over the line yet, I'm still thinking about it, and I just want to tell you to drive carefully, you know, because we're not guaranteed tomorrow, you could die tonight, people do have aneurysms and just drop dead, and uh, you need to have this question of rest in the gospel and rest in the truth of God settled. But then we're also, as believers, burdened for prodigal children and uh, Sometimes we wonder, you know, is it that they're backsliding or are they not even saved? And of course, God has the answers to all that. We know what should be true in their life is not true. And so as parents, as grandparents, as friends, as siblings, as, you know, I think about that great Keith Green song that he used to sing, his parents. It was, you know, he, he, in the song, he kind of reveals that his parents are annoyed with him because he's become a believer and they're not believing. Uh, and uh, he says, it's only that I care. I only, I only just want to see you there. And everybody who loves somebody that doesn't know Jesus or hasn't responded yet has that heart for people. 
Well, in verse 2, we see when the gospel does not save. See what it says there in verse 2? For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them. Why? Not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. So the gospel does not save when it's not responded to in faith. Um, I had the privilege uh, a couple weeks ago to talk to the Iwana kids, you know, at the end of the Iwana year, and I gave them seeds. And if those children have taken those seeds and planted them and care for them and get the right mix of sunlight, they're going to get flowers. You know, that's just the way that works. The gospel has the power within it to change a sinner into a saint. It has the power into it to change so much in their life. But man, the seed has to be planted, right? It has to be received with faith. Many more will hear the good news than will respond to Jesus. Now, there's a context here that must be understood. The author of Hebrews is writing to primarily Jewish background people, imploring them to recognize Jesus as the long-awaited Christ or Messiah. So he talked about to the, you know, there in verse 1, uh, or um, it, as you go through the book of Hebrews, I, I messed up in my mind thinking about James for a minute. But it's obvious as we go along, he's writing to those with a Jewish background, and some had converted to Christ, they were following Christ, others weren't yet, they were still thinking about it. And uh, so recognizing that tomorrow is not guaranteed, he's pleading them with them to respond to Christ today. And so you get this great phrase, today if you hear his voice. Today if you hear his voice. Remember Billy Graham, used to, his magazine, what was his magazine called? The Hour of Decision. That was a phrase from the minor prophets, you know, the, the multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, the prophet said. And uh, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. In verse 2, he reminds them he speaks of two different sets of Jews, those who heard the message before and those who are hearing it now. Now, in the past, when they're talking about the wandering in the wilderness days, most of the Jews in Egypt left Egypt with Moses but only those who believed entered the rest of the promised land. And uh, so an entire generation died out, didn't get to go into the promised land. And most of the Jews in the author's day, when Hebrews was written, were hearing the gospel, but only those who received Jesus would enter the rest of salvation, the rest that it is for those who turn to the Lord. Um, I'll turn to Acts chapter 17. We'll get a some examples of this here. <clears throat> Got to go left from there. Going to read verses 1 through 9. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. He's the Messiah. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace, gathering the mob, set all the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them, and these are acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying, There's another king, Jesus. 
And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. So in those early days, Paul was able to go into synagogues and share Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah. That's the Old Testament kind of word. Christ is the New Testament word. The anointed one is what it means. Many believed, but others did not. But they were all having their world turned upside down. And Jesus intended it to be that way. Uh, he intended to say, okay, when you're confronted with truth, you've got a decision to make. Go on living a false life, not based on the truth, or be convicted by God's truth, turn to Christ, reorder your life around the faith. Uh, and as much as that can be a blessing for a husband and his wife and their family, um, you know, Jesus understood that there would be times where a Wife said yes, the husband said no, or vice versa, where parents said yes and the children didn't. Times the children said yes and the parents didn't, you know, and those things. And that sounds a lot like my family, you know. Uh, but uh, so that was happening. Their worlds were being flipped upside down. Some were very excited. Others were saying, hey, listen, man, I, 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 yeah, I can't do that. I want to... Uh, I'm not going to turn over the lordship of my life to the Lord. I want to be the Lord. I got things I want to do, and you know, and uh, it's it's amazing how it's amazing how far we can go on ahead in stupid non-belief, you know, and stubborn non-belief is probably the better word. Acts 18, verses five through eight. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garment and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Now the Lord spoke to Paul. and I'm, uh, that's, that's for another time. Uh, before... Uh, before we go on, do you recognize what Paul was talking about when he said, um, your blood be upon your own heads? Um, that's, an, that's a, that's a um, thought that he got out of Ezekiel. Anybody know how Ezekiel talked about that and the watchman on the walls? He said, suppose you got an enemy approaching the city. And up in the tower, those who have been set apart as watchmen see the enemy coming and fail to warn the city. The enemy gets there and the city goes down and Ezekiel says the blood is on the watchman because he didn't warn the city when he was in a position to do so. In those, there's a couple different places it's in Ezekiel, which is pretty cool, you know, talking about the watchman on the walls, and Ezekiel described himself as a watchman on the walls. He says, now, if there's an enemy coming, and you turn into Paul Revere, the British are coming, the British are coming, the British are coming, right? If you do your job and say, hey, Thompson's, the British are coming, you know, get out, get out, you know. Uh, David said, the British are coming, you know, you gotta be ready, you gotta get out. He said, now listen, if some of them hear you hit the snooze button, turn over, their blood's on their own heads, right? The watchman's responsibility was to seeing danger coming, speak it. 
Now, when we warn people about the things that are out there that are going to mess them up, <laughs> I can't tell you the dozens, if not, you know, maybe over a hundred times in my ministry, I've told somebody, look, this is kind of how this plays out when you're, when you're stuck on sin, you know, uh, and, and I've seen people repent and turn back and, and, and just good things happen and stuff. I've seen others say, Pfft, you know, uh, and, um, but the Bible says that there's a spiritual responsibility that we have when we get it and we see something and we warn. We do it lovingly, we do it with tears, you know, uh, but uh, you know, we're in days where so many times we just, oh, I don't wanna hurt their feelings. Well, you know, telling the truth itself, let the truth be the fence, not the way you do it, or confusing things. I mean, sometimes uh, well-meaning church folk will talk about a real sin situation and the next breath, throw in something that's, you know, and if you don't use the King James, it's right in there with it. <laughs> wait, wait, what? <laughs> you know, this they need to repent of. That, if they're reading the Bible, be glad they're reading it, you know, um, any translation. So anyway, do you see what's happening in Acts 18? The man next to the synagogue became a Christian. Then the chief rabbi there became a Christian. Then many other became Christians and were baptized. Now, if you were a member of a synagogue and all of a sudden the rabbi became a Christian, many would go where he was in the weeks that followed, wouldn't they? If you really liked him, you'd be like, hey, Rabbi Danny, he's converted to Christ. Uh, I got to check out this a little more, you know. And uh, that's who the author of Hebrews is talking about. People that have seen the change in others, they've heard the message themselves now, but not responded to Jesus in faith. And his fear is that if they died right then, they wouldn't go to heaven, they'd go to hell instead. And of course we have that fear as well for all the reasons we've talked about. Well in verses three through five, we see the call believers do enter the rest as surely as God rested after his work was completed. So when creation week was done, what did God do according to verse four? He rested, he said, it is good. God spoke, Elohim bara, God spoke, and it was so, and it was good. And then on the seventh day, he rested. Uh, by the way, um, the timeless principle is a seventh day of rest. Um, and you get a little bit, I, every once in a while I'll tell you, I'm a dispensationalist, you know, I believe God has uh, worked in different ages, you know, and we're in the church age now. The way Israel was to observe the timeless seventh day rest was the Sabbath rules. Um, in this age that we're in now, the way that we in churches observe the seventh day rest is through worshiping the Lord on the first day of the week, which is Sunday. Um, so, but he, he completed the rest. Believers can enter rest because salvation work has also been completed, right? I put a word here for you. Uh, tetelestai, what does tetelestai mean? It is finished. That's what Jesus said when he was on the cross. Tetelestai! Paid in full, it is finished. Everything needed was done. Everything it would take to save you. Let's go back to Hebrews 1 and read those first four verses again, talking about the excellence of it being finished. Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 4. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the worlds who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, 
having become so much better than the angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Why did Jesus sit down? Because it was finished. Fill that in. It was finished. Um, the hardest thing for many about becoming a Christian is realizing that you have to rest on the completed work of another. Um, you have to rest on the work of another. I like how Romans 4, 4 and 5 says it. If you have not uh, yet learned those verses, uh, every once in a while I like to extol. If, if, if you've not got enough scripture in your head already, go buy yourself some three by five cards and uh, write the verses that the Lord's uh, impressing on you when you study the word on one side and the reference to it on the other and just go through them. Have them on the dash when you're driving in the car. Have them when you're walking in the mall or in the woods or whatever and stuff, you know. Uh, you can have them up there when you're shaving and different things. Uh, I've done thousands of verses like that, and it's come off the page and into my head and into my heart. But Romans 4, 4 and 5 says it so well. To him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But look at what this says. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Going all the way back to Genesis, when it says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. His faith imputed righteousness based on the faith, based on God's work, the faith, rather than any work he could, had done or could do. And the same is true for us. So that's really powerful because I know a lot of times people, when they realize they're sinners, uh, they uh, really um, start, the Holy Spirit starts beating them about their sin. They say, oh, I got to go to church. They start getting into church. Um, and sometimes years can pass and they're still trying to uh, impress God from the fact that they're coming and that they're giving and they're volunteering for different things. And they even went, got baptized or saw all those different things. And so they're just still a little agitated. They haven't rested. And, um, you know, Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. I am the vine, you're the branches. If you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. So as Steve Green used to sing, to love the Lord our God, that's the heartbeat of our mission, the spring from which our service overflows. We are saved by faith in Christ, plus nothing that we do before or after salvation. We are kept by faith in him, not by what we do before or after salvation. This is totally a wonderful gift from God. Now, don't get me wrong. It's a shame for a person not to work hard. This same Paul said, if a man won't work, don't let him eat in 2 Thessalonians 3.10. So he's not talking about the absence of meaningful work in our lives. He's talking about the folly of trusting our works to save us. Our debt's too big. We can't pay it off. We had to have it paid off for us by him who alone could do it. And that's, of course, Jesus. Christ's work on our behalf was sufficient. Let's see that again in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. We're trying not to forget some of these great verses we've already learned. Verse 14 says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. So if somebody asks you, what's one of the things that happened when uh, Jesus died for our sins? He destroyed the one who had the power of death, that is the devil. Uh, at least in your life, you know. That's why Revelation 12 says, we overcome him by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony, you know. The fact we're getting in on what Christ did, Satan can't touch us, you know. 
Verse 15, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Those who believe enter God's rest. Okay, well, verses six and seven back in Hebrews four, those who disobey don't enter the rest having hardened hearts. So unbelief and disobedience are connected. Pride is in that mix also. Let me read verses six and seven again. It says, since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Again, he designates a certain day saying in David, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Now, I like how in verses 8 through 10, it kind of clarifies what he's talking about. So we get a clarification in verses 8 through 10. We're now talking about rest in Christ. Now, you're talk, do you see what's happening here? He's talking about the rest after creation. He's talking about the rest they had when they got into the promised land. And now he's clearly starting to talk about rest related to our salvation in Christ. So... Uh, the clarification is we're now talking about rest in Christ and he is speaking of multiple levels of rest. So there's your fill in the blank, the word multiple. If Joshua had given them rest, he would not afterwards have spoken of another day. There remains therefore rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his faith. So multiple levels of rest. There's the Sabbath rest. There's the promised land as rest. There is salvation rest for believers. There is sanctification rest for believers. There is glorification rest for believers. The first two were for Jews uh, in the Old Testament times. The last three are for those trusting Jesus now. And so I love how he puts all that together for us. He's talking about a rest that happens when you're saved, a rest that happens as you're living a Christian life, and a rest that will happen forever when we're with the Lord first in heaven and later on a new earth. Pretty neat to think about. So he says, hey, since all that's true, verse 11, hurry up and slow down. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. And that's kind of oxymoron kind of thinking, isn't it? You know, uh, we got to work to enter this rest, you know, but let's be diligent. And it's not the work of work, it's the work of faith to truly rest in Christ in such a way that we understand that uh, we have what cannot be lost. Lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Uh, I think it's the difference between the uh, orphan at the orphanage looking through the window and seeing some potential adopted parents, right? Oh, look at me, 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 look at me. There's a franticness there, isn't there, right? You know, oh, I want to go home. I don't want to be an orphan anymore. I want to be part of a family, you know. And some, some people that go to church, they're just trying to work their way into God's family. You know, they're, they're, uh, they're saying, oh, God, look, I could do this for you. I could do, oh, I, you know, please accept me. And sometimes they confuse acceptance with God, the acceptance from these other sinners that themselves are trying to be accepted by God and people and stuff like that. What a difference between that and that orphan three years later, who knows that adoption meant them as much of the family as any child born into the family, right? And they've got something that they can never lose. They're not gonna be rejected. All the great truths of Ephesians 1 that happens to a person when you believed. Oh my goodness, chosen, adopted, forgiven, accepted, Holy Spirit inside, guaranteed inheritance. 
every blessing, spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It makes all the difference. So be diligent to make sure you've got that kind of rest, the rest of faith uh, that, um, you know, on your worst day coming up, <laughs> you'll say, man, this is a horrible day. Oh, but this is the only hell I'll ever experience because after this, it's nothing but with the Lord forever. And on your best day, you'll say, man, this is great. Great day. The Lord's given me a good one, but the best is yet to come. You know, have y'all heard that great song that's on the radio right now? On my best days, I'm a child of God. On my worst days, I'm a child of God. It's a really happy song and I love it. At this point, you may be saying, what must I do to find rest? Well, you need to enter that rest in Christ. Matthew 11 says it's so good. Verses 28 through 30. Come to me. Jesus is speaking. Jesus says, hey, picture me. Jesus says, picture me saying, come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We want to rest in Jesus Christ and stop trying to find meaning in life apart from him uh, because it'll never happen that way. He brings it all together for us. So you see the three different things I got here for you. You want to rest in salvation past, right? The sure knowledge that if you're a believer, Christ did for you what you could not do for yourself. There's a rest in that. There's a rest that you're not, uh, you know, I remember that great, I love Alan Jackson, you know, but he had that one song trying to, you know, working, working for salvation, you know, uh, how that song go. You remember it? Um, working the way to heaven, something anyway. It was in there and, you know, just kind of assuming, you know, we got to work our way to keep this, get this acceptance, keep this acceptance for God. No, it's a matter of belief. And then we want to rest in salvation present. So you got the past, which is salvation, justification. <laughs> The moment you believe, it's just as if you never sinned before God, uh, that, uh, you know, God looks at you and sees the righteousness of his son. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 to, uh, 21 says, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And that leads us to salvation, rest and salvation present. Uh, if he is the author and finisher of my faith, if he who began a good work in me will be faithful to complete it, then today is an opportunity to grow in him, to learn more of him, to serve him, to gain treasure in heaven through what he can reward. So you, that's, that's rest. That itself is by faith. It's not trying to keep your salvation. You can't earn it. You can't, uh, you can't uh, earn, earn keeping it either. Daily cleansing and readiness for the opportunities it brings us. Knowledge, he's with us as we go through this life. And then we have the rest and salvation future. So if past is justification and present is sanctification, the future is glorification. You know, I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Uh, I'm going to heaven when I die, thanks to Jesus. And um, so, you know, between now and Sunday, meditate on that rest. Uh, the fact that having believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you can't lose your salvation. You have something you can rest in forever. Um, and as you try to serve him, uh, don't make, um, you know, whether or not he's pleased with you, whether the person that you warn about something this week or you talk to encouragingly about something this week responds well. They might not. You know, they might not. Uh, i tell you what, I, I, I just believe in the Davy Crockett approach to ministry. 
Remember how David David Crockett would whoop a bear? What would David Crockett do with a bear? You don't remember? I didn't watch David Crockett. <laughs> you didn't know David Crockett? I watched Daniel Boone. Was it Daniel Boone? No, it was David Crockett, I think. He's, he was famous for grinning the bar. Right? He grinned the bar, you know? I just believe in going out into the world with the joy of Jesus, looking for opportunity to serve Him and doing it. Uh, when you need to say something unpleasant to somebody, speaking the truth in love. And do it with a grin on your face, you know, God's love inside, you know, grin in the bar. I just like that approach to ministry and stuff. And, you know, I've seen people really get irritated with me, but I've also had a lot of people come back and say, you told me the truth when everybody else was lying to me. And I love you for it. And they usually say it with the same David Crockett grin the bar look on their face and stuff. And then, of course, I mean, you know, 14 or 15 funerals so far this year, you know, uh, Nancy Swain's pretty soon going to go to be with Jesus. And uh, we, we uh, man, it, it'd be really tough. It'd be really tough if we couldn't rest in what we know is true. Uh, we, well, we've not said goodbye to the last time for anybody we knew that knew Jesus. We're going to see him again. We're going to see him again. We can rest in that. Faith, past, present, future. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Tabernacle Today. To learn more about the Tabernacle, please visit our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. There you may access additional Tabernacle Today podcasts as well as other resources. If you don't have a church home or happen to be visiting the area, we'd love to welcome you to one of our weekly services. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you back for another edition of Tabernacle Today.